This is Sarah Bordeaux, and you are listening to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. On this episode, we're bringing you a huddle from our sister publication, Adventure Park Insider. For many in the aerial adventure industry, the pandemic forced closures just as the season was about to begin. Now that social distancing guidelines are starting to lessen in many states, how should operators look at their marketing and sales? How do we communicate with guests and what messages should be out in the marketplace? We kick it off here with Sam and Adventure Park Insider publisher, Olivia Rowan. Thank you all for joining us today for our fourth Adventure Park Insider Huddle. I'm Olivia Rowan, publisher of API Magazine, along with Sarah Badeoff. She's the API's associate editor. And today's topic um, is pretty much a head scratcher for everyone. It's marketing and sales during COVID-19 pandemic. And as we know that the current landscape presents a challenging decision around what messaging to put into the market to drive sales and, and bring customers um, to our um, to our places of business. And today we hope to hear from um, our panelists some ideas and some inspiration, um, no pressure panelists, but uh, really uh, what we've learned with all these huddles is that there aren't any definitive answers. It changes too fast. Um, so we really just want to exchange and share uh, ideas, resources, and give a little inspiration for uh, what your next move might be. So before we get into it, uh, I'm going to head it off, um, hand it off briefly to ACCT Policy Director Scott Andrews. Um, he's here to kind of update what um, they're working on. And um, I attended your call earlier today, Scott. That was a good one, and and got lots of notes off that. So um, tell us what you guys are up to. Oh, thanks, Olivia. Well, we're continuing to have uh, think tank meetings, uh, smaller versions of the huddle where we're talking about specific uh, topics. Today, we talked about. If you're a vendor and you're providing training, what, what questions do you need to answer to move forward in this um, uncertain time? We're gonna continue to work on publishing some resources related to that and helping people navigate that. Uh, our staff are continuing to update our COVID response pages and our blog on the ACT Reg map so that we can um, show people what, uh, what's out there and available. Um, there we go keep moving forward as best we can and helping people move forward. Thanks, Scott. All right, so now on to our topic, marketing and sales amidst the COVID-19 um, pandemic. And this crisis creates a challenge, as I mentioned, for operators when deciding when and if to open, first and foremost, and what messaging to put out into the market and what sales tactics to employ in order to drive business. And maybe you've been playing around um, with a few tactics already. Um, but with so much uncertainty and changing landscape, it's really hard to know what will work um, and what works one week may not work the next week, depending on the headlines. So with our panels today, we're going to look into what are the key messaging themes that are emerging um, and get some examples that may help provide inspiration and guidance on your marketing and sales efforts. And um, what we've learned through these huddles and bringing in different experts is that um, one um, you know, one thing we can all agree on is that despite the challenges ahead of us, maintaining engagement with your core customers during the, this time continues to be an important marketing strategy, particularly in the social channels where we're seeing a, a heavier than normal use. So um, that that seems to be one steady thing that we've heard consistently, but um, now we're gonna hear from our panelists today. Um, so 
Skip King is a crisis um, a public relations specialist and the founder of Reputation Strategies. And Skip, there are quite a few stakeholders involved in planning for reopening. Um, and in terms of messaging, with whom and how should operators be communicating their opening plans? And what we know is every state is different right now, and we want to make sure our guests are aware it will be different across states, within counties, between parks in a region, you know, everything, there's so much unknown. Um, so what advice do you have for, you know, communicating around your opening? I'm beginning to think that you managed to hack my, uh, hack my script. Oh, whoops, sorry. Huh. <laughs> that was good. That was very good. Okay. So uh, let me start by noting that I am not a physician or an epidemiologist. I'm not in the business of giving medical advice, so I'm not going to do that. I am a crisis communications guy. Now, my work involves analyzing the dance floor in a crisis situation to the best of my ability and assessing strengths and weaknesses, and then making communications recommendations accordingly. But please note that these are recommendations that are based on the information available at the time. I'd like to point out that that's not limited to our current situation. It holds true with every crisis, and given the shifting nature of crisis situations in general, we're usually working with incomplete information. So it's ultimately up to all of you as business operators, whether the recommendations you receive from your legal counsel or flax like me, or even your staff aligns with your personal values and your tolerance for risk. So let's, let's get a little granular now. When we consider communicating in a crisis situation, we always wanna consider the stakeholders, just as Olivia said, and there are various groups ranging from tiny to huge who have an interest in the situation. If we're, doing, if we're doing things to communicate with people, we do best if we understand first who they are and second, what they need to know. Now, ACCT and the API audience is a pretty broad bunch of different interests uh, and stuff, but for purposes of right now, I'm gonna be focusing on the B2C operations and to sort of put on the table what I personally consider to be the five most important stakeholder groups you need to consider, although you may have more and you should think about what other stakeholder groups you really do have. So those five groups are in order, government, customers, staff, community, and the public. Now government itself is a pretty broad group. Within it, you have your local folks, that's your town or county, depending on where you are. You have your state, you have federal, and within each of those, you have both functional and elected wings. Now the functional folks are the ones who actually do the heavy lifting. They're the regulators, the inspectors, they're the first response folks, and so forth. The elected folks are the ones who create the policies that the functional ones are supposed to follow when they're not trying to get reelected, that is. So for practical purposes, the functional folks at various levels are the ones who can have the biggest impact on whether or how we operate going forward because they're the ones who are actually responsible for making sure that you're telling the line. But it's the elected folks who can really create the uncertainty, and that's certainly true when we're talking about senior levels of state government, which is where most of the decisions regarding what businesses can or can't operate and how, and that's where those, those decisions are currently being made. And we're currently seeing different policies in different states ranging from rather draconian to pretty much laissez-faire. So even if your features and your business model are more or less identical to somebody else's, the operational realities of what either of you might be able to do could be based purely on an accident of geography based on where you're located. So if you're not already doing so, I recommend that you keep it tightly abreast regarding your own state's policies 
And to the extent that you can, I think it's a good idea to make contact with your local reps or senators and let them know what needs to happen uh, with regard to the continuity of your business and the uh, livelihoods of your staff. So let's talk about customers next. Here's the reality, and it's potentially good news. And that is that most of the clientele served by ACC team members is actually in pretty, pretty low risk categories when it comes to this disease. Yes, they can absolutely get it, but the statistical data set increases daily and demonstrates that the vast majority of bad outcomes happen to old people and those with underlying conditions. To give you an idea, in my home state of Massachusetts, as of Tuesday afternoon when I wrote this out, there were a little more than 70,000 confirmed or presumed cases. There were slightly more than 4,200 deaths. Of those deaths, 63% of the total were age 80 or above, 85% of those were over the age of 70, and 98.3 of all deaths had a significant pre-existing condition. It's also worth noting that the way Massachusetts is collecting its data, anyone who dies with COVID-19 is presumed to have died from it. Now, the numbers vary state by state, but I think it's worth bearing in mind that your clientele most likely isn't in these categories that are likely to have a bad outcome, even if they do contract the disease, either on your property or somewhere else. With that said, however, if those individuals live with or regularly make physical contact with somebody who is in a vulnerable category, that's potentially a huge problem for you. So you need to make these operational decisions with those things in mind going forward, and you need to communicate about them. So our third category is staff. Your staff is forward-facing, obviously, and they're the ones that are making contact with a lot of people. They may personally feel reasonably secure given their age and health, but they may not. The key is this. In my view, I do not think I'd want to run the risk of operating with, a, with team members who would prefer not to be there. So I'd ask them, make sure that they understand that if they choose to hold off and move on to something else until things calm down, that you certainly won't hold that against them, that you'll respect their decision. And that's what it is, it's their decision. Second, I'm not sure I'd run the risk of operating if your staff isn't convinced that you're doing everything humanly possible to protect both them and your guests by establishing reasonable spacing and sanitation guidelines and that you're constantly updating and enhancing those protocols as the situation develops. Third, of course, it should go without saying that you need to make clear to staff that they're to stay home if they feel sick or think that they might have been exposed. And again, this calls for a constant stream of communications. And a little later, we'll talk about specific ways to address each of these groups. Now, I'd like to spend a moment talking about community, and I'm talking your actual physical community here rather than your virtual one. We'll talk about that when we get to the next little section. Early on in this, gosh, was it really only two months ago, Rural communities all over the nation were gathering pitchforks and torches because all the damn vacation homeowners were showing up to hunker down in, their, in what they perceived was a, uh, was a safer space. And those concerns really weren't ungrounded. By the way, I live on Cape Cod. There's a lot of vacation homes in my area. And I have it on very good authority that the majority of cases that were seen early on in the local hospital were actually people from New York who'd come here to hunker down. So depending on where you're located, you may need to be cognizant of the fact that the folks in your neighborhood might not exactly welcome the idea that your operation is bringing in visitors from places that might be showing higher levels of exposure than those seen locally. Remember that even if they choose not to patronize your operation, they still use the local gas pumps that your clientele does so they could get exposed there. Now, some states and communities are more oriented to ramping things back up than others are. So keep your ear to the ground regarding what the neighbors are thinking. Um, finally, let's mention the public. And I will keep this brief because later on I'm going to discuss those communications tactics. 
The public is not likely to be your clientele. In fact, the public is likely to think that your clientele is nuts under the best of circumstances. As far as most of the public is concerned, your product is weird. So I suspect that pretty much everyone is starting to become a little bit numb regarding this whole story because there's just this constant drumbeat of, uh, of bad news coming out. But even so, anything that pushes a routine story over the line into man bites dog territory stands a really good chance of getting tongues wagging. In other words, a certain number of cases in your community is just locally bad news, but if it centers on your operation, that's really bad news for you. So if, you're, if your operation turned out to be the center of a clustered outbreak, that's a pretty serious situation. And right now, there really aren't any mitigation steps that I'm aware of anyway that can guarantee that that won't happen. And there may in fact never be. So with this stakeholder group, the public, the key is being ready for it. That means you've got solid and reasonable operational plans in place, including mitigation, and that you're communicating the hell out of these using every communications channel at your disposal to make sure people know. That includes the press, social media, direct mail, email, the works. If people have confidence that you're being proactive and are taking reasonable steps to manage the situation, they're less likely to get the rope out when something bad happens. And I expect I'm going to be back a little later to talk about some specific tactics. Thank you much. Thanks, Thank um, so now that we've kind of hit the stakeholders, we're going to switch gears a little bit and I'm going to ask Stephanie Sabeel from Strategic Adventures um, to speak a little bit um, about key messaging and, you know, Skip mentioned, you know, communicating what you're doing to mitigate the risk of spreading COVID, but, you know, what kind of messages should operators be getting out into the marketplace at this point? Sure. So. One of the things, if you've heard me on any of the other panels, one of the things I like to do is I always like to look to the restaurant industry because it seems like they're about a month ahead of us in terms of what they've tried and what worked and what hasn't worked. And there's a lot of what that we're doing right now. There's a lot of stuff that's going out in terms of mitigation, in terms of different strategies, in terms of social distancing being set up into play. Uh, but one of the things that I think is equally key, especially when you're talking to your customers who are looking to come back, when you're looking to your staff to come back, is not just saying what you're doing, but giving some context behind why you're doing it. And I think about, there's a friend of mine who works in a restaurant right now, and we were on a Zoom call a couple of weeks ago, back when this was all still fairly new, and I was really interested to hear, what wow, what's your PPP setup, what, or PPE, PPE, PPE? Personal protection, PPP, that's the loan. I keep mixing up the two. What's your, uh, what's your PPE situation? How, what are you doing to protect yourself? Because you're all working in fairly close quarters. And so she explained that they use masks and everybody's pretty comfortable with that. And they're also using gloves. And I'm like, okay. And she explained that there's, you'd actually rather not be using the gloves. They would prefer it if they were able to do hand washing instead, it'd be a lot easier to go hand wash hands or sanitize between every transaction. But the customers want to see us wearing gloves. So we're going to wear gloves because that's what they want to see. And so I was a little bit horrified by that. But I think that's one of the things that we're battling right now is what are we doing that's best for the customer, that's best for our staff, that's best for us versus what are the optics behind it? Because there's a lot of conflicting information out there and potentially some conflicting perceptions. So if we're going to go ahead and let people know what those different policies are that we're taking on, 
I think it's going to help with customer buy-in overall, not to just know what we're doing, but why it is that we're doing that. And that can extend to why we're choosing to open, why we're not choosing to, to open right now, but we might open in a couple different weeks. It's, it's very, perception is very different depending where you live in the country right now. I know I have friends in more rural areas who are ready to get back out and get at it and who are going out rock climbing every day. I have friends in New York City who still won't go to a grocery store unless they can get home delivery because there's still too much concern around contracting COVID. So you know your market better probably than we do and you know the feel in your local area. But if you can give that definition as to why you're doing certain things and not just what you're doing, I think it really helps with that sort of collective buy-in that everybody's in this together and that we all want to support. Um, we all want to support the business. We want to support keeping the staff as safe as we possibly can. And we want to support all of these efforts. And then we don't have to do as much for optics if we're giving the reason and the rationale behind why we're doing certain things. So that's kind of the why. And then the other thing I think about is just the how. And are we communicating this via email, via social media, via the website, how are we setting that information up? And one thing I want to caution, I know that we want to get this information out. It's really tempting to get those emails out when you reopen or to let people know of a certain policy. Uh, there's a lot of inbox fatigue out there right now. There's a lot of, just like when this started, a lot of people are hitting unsubscribe to newsletters that they maybe didn't realize that they sign up for. So Getting those big announcements out over email, I think, is absolutely fine. But otherwise, there's a lot of other places you can communicate that. Social media pages, people have gone out of their way. They've chosen to follow you, so you can get a little bit more out that way. If people are clicking on your Instagram story, they're going one level deeper. They really want to find out what's going on. That's where more some of that niche information can come out. If you do have policy changes, having a landing page on your website, maybe you don't need to put all that information in an email. Maybe there's a link that goes to that landing page and have that COVID page front and center on your website. There's a couple of, of major companies in the ski industry. I don't want to necessarily say who they are right now, but I go on their homepage. I want to get information about season passes and I can't even find a COVID page. I have to go to the search function just to find out what they're doing about COVID-19. So being strategic about those channels, getting that information out, the reason, reason rationale behind why you're implementing certain policies or maybe not implementing certain policies, um, but not overwhelming people over email with it. I think that's my, that's my spiel for today. Thanks. And you had alluded to, you know, the fact that different markets are reacting differently to COVID. And one of the things that we've talked about on previous huddles is that you know, the, the drive market is going to come back in it, you know, before the destination market is likely going to because people are just more hesitant about travel. In terms of reaching out to the local market and kind of taking the temperature, um, how would you recommend that operators reach out to the community in that way to draw some traffic? Sure. So I think a lot of it depends on the community that you're in. If you're in suburban Ohio or suburban Maryland, chances are you have a population that's already primed for it. So, so marketing that way, sending emails or posting maybe some geo-track posting to those locations specifically is great. I think what I would caution is if you're in a local market and you're 
you typically draw a tourism base and your local market isn't necessarily primed to come to your attraction. Maybe it's a more sedentary population. Maybe it's not a group of people that are as likely to show up and you do reopen. Just track your track how much it's costing you to operate every day. Track who actually is showing up because not all local markets are created equal and not all of our parks were necessarily built for that local market that you're in. A lot of them were built for different tourism markets. So just be mindful of what your operating costs are on any given day and what you're doing, um, how much revenue you're doing, and maybe track that and just do a little analysis every week or every couple of weeks to see how that's working out and if you're bringing in enough revenue to offset the cost that you're operating. Thanks, Stephanie. Um, Olivia? Uh, thanks, Sarah. So Nathan, Andrew, and Brian Nicholson are with Blend Marketing. Your team works with companies in the activity sector, many um, of which have had to temporarily shut, shut down due to the crisis. Um, so um, as we said earlier, there is a demand for these types of activities once social distancing guidelines are lifted. Um, what kind of organic traffic trends are you seeing this year um, that might help guide where we go with our messaging? Right, so everyone wants to know, you know, what are customers thinking um, as restrictions start lifting? What are the customers doing and how are they responding? So there are multiple ways that you can track this customer demand and customer behavior, but we're going to focus on two, uh, Google Trends as well as your own uh, search traffic. So first of all, um, we have a dashboard where we watch the organic traffic for our clients this year versus last year so that we can see whether customers are coming back to us on their own. And we use this as one indication of whether the market might be receptive to advertising. So we're seeing different things in different parts of the country. So here's a Wisconsin ziplining company that doesn't have a lot of demand coming back yet. This is their organic traffic year over year. And you can see that the gap between last year and this year is not yet closing. However, we do have a zipline customer in Kentucky where you can start seeing at the end of that chart, you can see that that gap is starting to close. So when we see that gap starting to close, we're going to contact our client. We're going to say, now's the time to start at least the retargeting advertising. We're going to watch the return on, on ad spend very closely. And if it looks like that's working really well, then we can open up our advertising to do some uh, uh, demand generation as well. Um, that's not to say that you have to wait until you start seeing an uptick in organic traffic before you start opening an advertising. This escape room company in South Carolina was allowed to open this past weekend. And you can see that prior to this past weekend, they did not see an uptick in customer demand. But as soon as they opened, the demand came. They, they did send out an email, they did organic social posting, but no advertising. So you can see that that spike in demand wasn't fully sustained. We need to bolster that demand by bringing advertising back now that we've seen a successful weekend. So um, just watch your organic traffic and see whether that's closing, whether that gap is closing to see whether your customers are already coming back. But you can also watch Google Trends. And Google Trends is a really cool tool that you can use. Many of you have probably used it, but it's not really good for comparing kind of a micro uh, section of the calendar year over year. They, they let you go, this is a, a five-year graph, but even if you go down to a one or two-year graph, it's a little bit difficult to, to compare year over year to see is this, um, is search demand coming back in my area? So we created a, um, a dashboard that taps directly into the, the real-time Google Trends data, and it's just updated as Google updates their trends information. And you can see now, this is zoomed in just to this year. 
Uh, so just for the last five months, you can see that that gap is not closing for zipline companies right now in terms of just customer search demand. But there are lots of other companies or lots of other um, segments of the travel and tourism industry that are starting to come back. So here you can see that water parks are starting to see a resurgence in customer uh, interest. And then as it relates to accommodations, while hotels are not coming back uh, in terms of search demand, you can see things like cabins and uh, camping are actually exceeding last year's demand. So you can see that shift in customer plans and customer behavior. And things that people can do on their own, like hiking and fishing, are actually, again, seeing demand that exceeds last year's demand at the same time. The reason that this information is important, obviously knowing your particular industry helps you know what kind of demand is, uh, is already out there for your product, but also knowing, for example, what's going on in the accommodation space can help you shift your strategies and your advertising. So if you have relied on partnerships, uh, advertising partnerships with like local uh, resorts and hotels, you might wanna shift some of that uh, partnership spend to other places where you know that people are gonna be staying, where they have a little bit more distance between themselves and other people. Um, and that's probably where your customers are gonna be staying if you are in a destination location. Uh, you can actually find, we have over 20 of these different little segments of the market uh, on that dashboard at blend.tours trends. And we can add more um, as, uh, as time goes on. I'm gonna add skiing now that I've heard skiing mentioned and saw some snowboards in the background of uh, one of the participants here today. Um, but if you have it, anything that you want to see, let me know. Um, and that's again, just really for the year over year comparison at, at this particular moment in time, but you can always go to Google Trends. You can even drill down to the state or, or metro area, uh, which I can't do uh, on the dashboard. So in terms of preparing your marketing, um, you need to have a solid foundation in place. The measurement is really important. I mentioned restarting retargeting for one of our clients and watching the return on ad spend. If you don't know how much money you're making from a dollar that you spent on advertising, it's really difficult for you to make business decisions about whether to increase or decrease ad spend. So having your measurement in place, having your pixels in place, all of that's really important. That's a whole other webinar and I'm not, I'm not gonna have time to unpack that today, but having a solid foundation is important. Creating customer confidence, you know, marketing is a lot about getting the right message to the right people that meets their needs and desires. The needs and desires obviously have shifted a lot, and that's what we're talking about today. And so a lot of your marketing has to be covering the, the things that uh, presenters have already been speaking about. So what are your cancellation and rebooking policies? It's unfortunate, but this is very common for us to see when we work with clients and just look in the, in the space that a lot of um, tour operators are not matching the flexibility of the OTAs. So on the left-hand side, this is the tour operator's website, and they specifically say that tickets are non-refundable. On the right-hand side, TripAdvisor says it's fully refundable with 24 hours notice. If you're not matching their policy, they're going to win that sale in, in a lot of cases. I work in the space. I know that they're charging you around 18%. I'm still booking in TripAdvisor because they're, give, they're giving me a customer-friendly policy. So your policy needs to match, and it's more important now than ever because sensitivity to cancellations is higher than ever. So we call this book with confidence messaging. It's more than just about cancellation. It can be price guarantees and other things as well. And we recommend that you put those um, in all of the at all of the decision points on a website. So where you have price and where you have call to action, anytime somebody is making a consideration to, to purchase or to book, um, you need to have book with confidence messaging there to grease the wheels there for them. Airbnb does this as well right next to the pricing. Um, 
So Skip already covered some of this and is more um, qualified to speak about these, but here's some of the categories of things that obviously you need to be ready to communicate on your website and in other places as you start opening to create that customer confidence. Here's an escape rooms version. I love what I call progressive scannability. It's a way for people who want just the high level data can quickly get it. They can skim this list of six things and get the information in about 10 seconds. People who want more detail can read more detail. And that's gonna be an important part. It's always an important part of marketing messaging. It's gonna be important also for your communication about, uh, you know, related to your COVID-19 policies as well. Also, uh, make sure that you have, uh, that you're ready for inevitable questions that come. So you're gonna have certain things that you put out there in the first place, but your customers are going to demand some additional communications from you, sometimes on the spot. So uh, brainstorm with your team, the, questions that you anticipate customers are going to ask. The fact that you have it on your website doesn't mean that people aren't going to ask it. And you need to make sure that your team knows what is the official company answer for this and who's responsible, who's allowed to, to give that answer. And that leads into the backlash issue here. Uh, anticipate, you know, maybe somebody gets upset about something related to health or safety or refunds, or even the fact that you're open in the community right now, as Skip mentioned, not everybody's going to appreciate that. Who is going to field those questions and how are they going to be fielded? Some of those questions are going to, some of that backlash will come privately, some will come publicly. You need to be ready ahead of time to respond to that. And then also, I hate to say it, but anticipate that you're going to uh, find out that you had a customer with COVID-19 on your property. Now, when you have a little bit of downtime left, is the time to figure out who are we going to communicate with? If we find out somebody was on the ski hill uh, from two o'clock until six o'clock one day, and we find out that they had COVID-19, who are we going to communicate with uh, and how? And as Skip said, it could be, you know, you've got the press, you've got your own customers, you've got your employees. Uh, how is that going to roll out? Who's going to roll that out? And how quickly is it going to happen? Now Nate's going to talk about how you can pivot your advertising as well. Yeah, we're going to have to pivot when it comes to advertising, right? There's three big considerations here. The first is timing. This is what we're talking through with all of our clients right now. Just when do we restart advertising? Brian already talked about some of the ways to um, kind of inform when you restart. Probably the main thing here is just that there needs to be um, interest in your activity. You know, one easy way to look at that is by looking at the trends. Are people looking to go ziplining? Are they looking for adventure parks, things like that, nationally, state level, um, and then even locally too. Um, and then of course, kind of the obvious one is, um, are people visiting your website organically? If people are visiting your website organically, if you're seeing an uptick in interest, then you want to be, you know, recapturing that that traffic by putting messages out there um, on Facebook and Instagram and Google and showing ads to those customers or potential customers that are on your website. Um, another kind of um, th thing that you can do is just look at the reception that other companies are having um, as they reopen. So Pigeon Forge Chamber posted this yesterday about the national parks being reopened on May, on May 9th. You can see here that Greg isn't super thrilled or at least he's a little bit hesitant about it. You know, let's hope people abide by the rules, but that the rules are enforced and that the rules are enforced by the park rangers, whereas Shirley's a little more excited about it. It's, it's a good idea just to monitor how people respond um, to um, your competition and to different people in your area. And, and that'll just help you prepare to you know, pr prepare your responses to how people will respond when you reopen or look to reopen. 
Um, another thing you can do to time your ads effectively, and this one's kind of fun, um, is spy on your competitors and see what they're running on Facebook. So Facebook has a library that will allow you to search for any company that has a Facebook page and just see what ads they have running. One of the cool things that you can do here is you can, you can see when they started running the ads. Um, so this particular company started running ads on May 6th. You know, if you're seeing a lot of your competition starting to run ads, um, that means that most likely a lot, of, a lot of your potential customers are seeing those ads, and that's just a cue for you to start running ads as well. Um, second category here is targeting and messaging. This has been talked about a little bit already. In terms of targeting, I think targeting groups that have been quarantined together will be the, the place to start, and that's mostly families right now. Um, as far as messaging goes, talking about how you're mitigating risk, which has been talked about a lot. Also, maybe putting together packages for those family groups. This is just one quick sample where a company is kind of dubbing Wednesday as family day, letting kids zip half off and giving families a free pizza. It's really easy in Facebook Ad Manager to target um, parents of kids, um, and doing this will allow you to you know, make, make your ad spend go a little bit further. Um, and not waste ad spend on people that don't have kids. Um, the third one, and this one's super interesting, and someone alluded to it earlier, um, there's a lot more people on Facebook right now. A lot of estimates are saying 50% more people are on Facebook this year than, or, or now than were at this time last year. And there's a lot less people advertising because a lot of companies are closed. This is a really big opportunity um, potentially for you when you reopen because the cost of your advertising on Facebook and on Google depends on how many other advertising are competing for your audience. So less competition at the auction means cheaper traffic. One example that we've seen um, for a company that has been advertising pretty heavily actually for um, a way that they've been able to stay open during this crisis and they've seen a 77% decrease in um, cost per landing page view. So it's been 77% cheaper basically to reach people um, in the last two months than it was last year. And we're pretty much seeing this across the board for clients that we are still advertising for. My guess is that this will start to slip away, of course, like as people start to open and more advertisers um, start to spend money. But right now in the next couple of weeks, there's a window where it's gonna be more affordable. Organic channels, you know, this is super key. Probably, you know, do this before you start advertising. It's a great way to start testing messages, see what the response is like, see if you can drive traffic to your website before remarketing to it. Um, your website's kind of your key organic channel. Um, and like others were saying, you know, and, and we're recommending to all of our clients that they just have a single page on their website where they're keeping their COVID-19 policies up to date. Um, it's, th th there's lots of great um, banner plugins that you can use to link to that page. Google Optimize recently linked or, or released um, a banner plugin that's free and really easy to, to set up, but there's lots of other ways to get that message um, showing up across your site. Google My Business posts aren't new. Um, but what is new with Google My Business is the COVID-19 update post type. Um, so they rolled this out a couple weeks ago, but it just gives you a chance to share with your customers what your COVID-19 policies are right on your Google My Business listing. And for better or worse, 
this is usually the first interaction that a that a potential customer will have with your business. Not this post specifically, but your Google My Business listing. So if there's any way where you can communicate how you're mitigating risk on your on your GMB listing, you want to do this. Um, the second thing that Google recently released was a way to mark your business as temporarily closed, and that's something that um, you can take advantage of. Organic social is kind of goes without saying. A lot of you are doing this really well. One of the questions we're asking ourselves is, right now while you're closed or as you look to reopen, is there a free and socially distancing friendly way to expose people to my experience? The answer to that question for some of our clients is trails. Um, you know, can you open up your trails for free, let people walk around your grounds, they can look at the adventure park, they can look at your zip line course, um, things like that, and then they're gonna wanna come back and experience that um, but you're letting them do something safe on your property and you're supporting them in that way. The fourth and last organic channel, and this isn't really a channel, this is more of a broad category, but now is a great time to audit your customer journey. What do your emails look like? Confirmation emails, review request emails, um, what do your newsletter flows look like? Have you, have you looked at your signage? You know, how are you communicating your COVID-19 policies right there on site? Um, and then, of course, your booking flow, cancellation policies, some of those things that have already been talked about um, are all good to look at right now as you have this downtime. Thanks, Nate. And thank you, Brian. Uh, that was great. And we will. Um, so we're going to go to our next panelist, um, Ryan O'Grady. Uh, Ryan is the CEO of PhotoFlow. And Ryan, one of the things that we've been talking about and hearing is that it, a key message is kind of reminding people of the better times and that good times, you know, are coming. Um, how would you recommend that operators kind of leverage their photos and user generated content uh, now in this crisis and then, you know, as they're getting ready to reopen? Yeah, that's a great question. I'd like to start by, I'll do my best to answer that and hopefully provide meaningful insights to the audience here. I'd like to commend the other panelists, first of all, I really enjoyed the information that you provided. And I hope to like provide information in my segment here that, that really complements, especially what Brian and Nathan had put forth around, you know, your paid advertising and any organic efforts that you put forth. And really what I'm going to talk about is um, how to gain, you know, earned marketing media and benefit from your guests. So how can we get your guests to to actively promote your business and drive that benefit. And there's, there's a number of ways that we describe this, um, you know, in terms that we use, it could be called like referral marketing, word of mouth, um, like, like you said, uh, Sarah, user generated content, advocate marketing, um, you know, broadly, these are all kind of categorized under, under uh, market, uh, what we call earned uh, media and uh, earned media marketing. And um, so, so the reason why I'm, I'm you know, introducing that is that it's by far the most trusted form of marketing media available to any marketers. You know, it's, and I think that in, given the state of our, of our industry and the market, I think getting as much trusted marketing benefit that we can out into a new audience, it needs to be a priority. And I can tell you that the absolute best way to do that is with branded photos of your customers. And I'm going to describe really um, how you can gain this benefit in kind of two different ways. And so um, I'm gonna start with kind of something specific and uh, that we've, we've done for 15 different zipline tours in aerial parks. Um, and 
Uh, and what we've done is, is leverage their existing photo library and photos of, of customers and remarketed to those past customers um, with, with, uh, with their own photo memories and, and a really simple message of just thanks and appreciation. So there's really no like specific business outcome that we're looking for as far as like buying uh, gift cards or booking ahead. You know, we're just simply reminding people of a better time. And I can tell you that this has landed extremely well um, and created a, a, a variety of earned media benefits and user-generated content uh, by delivering this campaign to, to, uh, to past customers. So I'll provide a little bit of data around this so that you can understand um, you know, why it's been meaningful to these operators. But uh, so we delivered the campaign out to over 30,000 different past zipline guests, you know, spread out through a number of different operators around North America. And, the open rates on these campaigns have been 125.6%. So every single email that we've delivered has been opened. How do you get over 100%? Each one has been opened 1.2 times. So it's showing that people are not only opening this again, but they're forwarding this email to their friends. And so we're, and we're you know, doing this and remarketing to people maybe from last year with their photo memories, but maybe from two years ago, three years ago, and so on. So once again, um, if, it's time to put that photo library to work. And so just some other st statistics around that, uh, the click-through rate of that was 19.7%. Um, so it's, it's obviously those top line numbers show, show how meaningful it's been to, to past customers to just relive a good time. And then what we're able to see is how people are then consuming those photos, uh, resharing those photos and reaching a new audience with that authentic message. So we're seeing people post those photos again privately through their own channels, you know, social networks, tagging their friends. It's initiating conversations, people looking ahead and planning future trips like we need to go back there. Um, so people are reviewing the business. People are uh, posting to the social networks. There's emails coming through from customers saying, thank you so much, um, you know, it was, it was one of the highlights of my life where I hadn't seen my cousin in 40 years, I think one was. Um, so really meaningful outcomes. And I think one of the other, uh, one last piece of data that I'll share before I can transition out of that, uh, this part of my uh, uh, delivery and description is that um, what we're able to see are the advocates. We can actually determine out of all the people that are receiving their past photo memories, who's advocating uh, for that brand and reaching a new audience. And, and what is that total cumulative benefit? So, so we're able to determine that for every three people that were sent this campaign, it generated one new unique referral lead. And, you know, and these new leads, you know, these aren't impressions on a, on a, on a social, um, you know, in a Facebook, a like on a, on a post. These are people clicking through and spending time on, on the branded uh, website of this business you know, looking at somebody that they know and trust, having a great time surrounded by the call to action. So, so if you send it to 300 people, um, you can expect, you know, 100 new referral leads to be gained through that campaign. And so, um, so once again, if you have a photo library, it's, I wanted to provide some statistics because it is worth putting that to use and to, to remarket to those, um, to those past customers. People, um, you know, pay for an experience, but they want to leave with a memory. And when you provide branded photo content to your customers, there's three outcomes that you can expect. You'll gain referral leads, you're going to gain brand advocacy, customers are gonna advocate your business, and you're going to gain user-generated content. So, so, and it's a trusted message from your audience. So, 
If you don't provide photos, I, I'm pretty much done. But if the one thing I could say is if you don't provide photos to your customers, which most operators don't, they're going to take their photos um, because it, it's capturing that photos as important, maybe even more so than the experience itself. Um, and so they're going to capture that photo. They're going to share it. They're just not going to include your brand and you're not going to gain any benefits. So we would just encourage any operator to, to capture branded um, photos and videos of their consumers and, and to as broadly as you possibly can provide those to your audience because they're going to generate those three proven outcomes uh, for your brand. And it's the most trusted message that you could put out in the market. Thanks so much, Ryan. Appreciate those insights. Sarah? Um, so we're going to, we've talked a lot about the marketing end and we're going to uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about the sales side. Um, so we've got Craig Langer from the Flybook uh, with us today. And Craig, your team's been working with a lot of operators to kind of look at the sales and promotions efforts that are going to encourage their customers to, to come back and play when, when everybody's able to reopen. What are you seeing in the marketplace right now? And um, how would you recommend that operations kind of look at their, their sales efforts? Yeah, um, I, I really want to just echo what Brian and Nathan just went through. Um, was great, was really great information. So for those of you, um, you know, I would down to go back through that because what they said was, was really gold as far as, you know, we get to see behind the scenes of, of thousands of different tour um, activity providers and we get to see what works really well and then what doesn't work really well and why some are successful and why some are not. Um, and so a lot of what they just covered is what, um, from, a, from a front end marketing um, experience and what that, that information and data, are, are what those who are working well right now are doing. So um, I think what they just delivered was, was, was fantastic. The, I sort of boiled it down to sort of three things that I see really consistently right now between those operations that are doing really well and struggling. We have, we have operators all over the country of some that are just starting to open in Florida and in the Southeast and some of the states that are really starting to get back to work. Um, and some of the things that those that are doing it effectively are doing, um, one is they're really good at pre-sales. Um, they've done a really good job of marketing the off-season. I mean, all of you, most of you have an off-season. Um, the really good companies are really good at selling pre-sales, gift cards, gift certificates, um, getting people to purchase experiences in advance that maybe don't have a date in mind, then they're not coming on, you know, June 10th or June 9th, but they're, they're telling you that they're going to come sometime. And so the companies that are really performing well right now are, are those that are really good at triggering those pre-sales. Um, and then on the refunding side of things, in, in this crisis, you know, we were seeing, um, you know, you're seeing, and you're all experiencing this, you know, tons of cancellations, tons of refunds, tons of rebooking. The businesses that are weathering this really good right now, and again, to go back to some of that policy stuff that's been talked about, um, are those that are not that have got that policy game and that messaging stuff dialed in where we see a lot of refunds with gift cards or refunds with gift certificates, refunds with multiple gift certificates instead of just refunding cash. Like, you know, hey, we're calling to cancel. We can't come in April. Great. Well, what if we said we're going to refund you with two tickets for a future, any future date? And instead of giving the cash back, they're giving back that experience, right? Um, and those were really effective for people when they're in this downtime to manage cash flow and things like that. I think if I was looking forward, some stunts that I might try would be to give away free $25 gift cards or $35 gift cards, something like that, that you know 
somebody might go sign up for and take. And then it's just a trigger. It's an indicator of interest. Are they going to come back at a later date? Things like that I think would be really interesting to try. Um, the other piece, the, the, the next thing that I think co companies that are doing really well is that messaging piece. And I know Skip hit on it early and Brian and Nathan did a really good job. You, you, fear mitigation. And, and this industry is one of those that I think is uniquely um, suited. I mean, there are people on this call on this call that I see that I know have multiple certifications in safety. Um, this is an industry that your whole business is keeping people safe. Um, you're you're uniquely qualified to talk and describe and tell the story about how you're going to keep your customers safe. Um, you know, people think they're going to come get sick and die if they come to your 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 facility. You need to mitigate that. And I think some of the stuff that Skip and Brian and, and Nathan and Stephanie mentioned are great. Um, and you need to practice it. It can't be wing. Um, we have a lot of companies that are opening right now, like in Florida, Atlanta, um, Missouri, um, who did a great job of getting their physical facilities in, in line. You know, they're, they're thinking about the entire customer journey. The moment they pull in the, in the parking lot, um, how are we going to make that customer feel safe? Um, how are they going to stand in line? How are they going to come through? If you have a retail facility, how do they come through that? How do they interact? With your with your host, how are they going to take payment? Are you going to are going to handle credit cards? I mean, those type of things need to all be thought through, so that your customer, when they're on site, feels safe, right? I mean, you you have to mitigate that risk, um, and that comes back with um, the transaction. You, you have to get your policies in line. You have to have to feel safe to make those purchases. All that stuff needs to be done. Employee training that was mentioned, and then the third one, the third one that I think that I haven't seen much talk about. Um, during this time is like again you people will come back if they if they feel safe to come and I think one of the ways to do that initially I think customer reviews here in the short term are going to be incredibly valuable those first few customers that come into your facility if you can get them to review you and say hey I I felt safe they did a great job it was you know I would do it again it was fun I think those are going to be worth gold. I mean, I really think those are going to be worth gold and, and some stunts I might try again. These are just my own stupid brainstorms, but my stunts I might try would be to have a, a pre-open day or a free day um, and let some people come in and climb. Um, one, it allows you to practice your, your protocols. You know, how does it work? I mean, are we, are we keeping people safe? Can we keep people distance? How does our sanitation between clips and all that stuff go? Um, but then secondly, if you can get people in your park, they have a good time and in exchange for coming for free, I don't think it's unreasonable to sincerely ask them, did you have a good time? And if you did, we'd really appreciate a five-star review so that we can, we can really let people feel safe to come into our facility. So I think, I think those, those three things from your pre-sales and getting that game, um, understood, whether you haven't been doing it in the past where you should have been, you know, you've learned that lesson perhaps you need like right now is critical to get really good at that. Um, your messaging both internally and externally to your staff, your customers to mitigate that risk so that they feel really safe to come and trust that you're going to do everything you can to keep them safe. And then the last one is planning for reviews and get tactical um, in those reviews. Cause all of that really in theory is good content. You know, a review, if you can get, five or six really good reviews from people and then want to send that out from a testimonial standpoint, just as we're getting, getting, getting started here, I think are going to be, um, are going to be really three things to focus on. And then the last thing I would say just anecdotally, you know, we have had some customers open in the last couple of weeks 
you know, I was really sort of just personally pessimistic about whether or not people would come back and participate. Um, and I would say that it's still a mixed bag. I think some of the data that Brian and um, Nathan showed with regard to other industries, we are seeing hiking, rafting, uh, fishing, some of those smaller group stuff is certainly coming back. Um, we're seeing uh, interest and reservations and stuff come back for that stuff. Um, and, and in adventure parks and zip lines, we're not seeing it to the, at that same rate, but the ones that have opened, uh, in the Southeast have done well in their opening days and done better than they had expected anecdotally. So I think there's, there's reason to be optimistic when it, when it does open up. Um, but I think, I think if you don't have your, your operational game in order and then your messaging in order, I think, you know, those are those, those two things are going to be really important. Great. Thanks so much, Craig. That was super helpful. Um, Skip, we're going to um, go back to you with just something specific. Um, you know, let's say we, we, we can open up in some restricted way um, and we fall into a, a place we're all concerned about of if a staff member tests positive, if a guest um, at the park shares that they've tested positive and it starts to, you know, leak out and we've all heard Walmart, you know, and they were all over the news because they had eight come, you know, test positive and then it increased to 42 and it was on the local and then the national news. And um, I think it scares businesses about, you know, getting open and then quickly dealing with that type of PR crisis. Sure. Um, I think the real key here is going to be to have, uh, to have some stuff in the can, meaning that you've uh, thought through both your operational plans and have a good succinct way of getting that information out to the public, but also have just sort of a standby type of statement available in that eventuality. Now, unfortunately, because every business is different, it's not like ACCT or API can necessarily create a blanket uh, statement that is sort of a plug and play type of thing. I think each of you are going to need to do this individually. But if you have that in your pocket and are ready to transmit it uh, to various channels as needed, I think that will help a lot because if nothing else, you won't lose any time. Is there a resource that they should go to or where, I mean, we're all kind of borrowing across industries. Have you seen any good examples of people already coming out with this type of messaging where they can create their own based off of any good resources? Nothing that I can, nothing that springs to mind, Olivia. Um, look, this, this kind of thing really isn't that hard to do. Um, if you've got, you know, if you've got a relationship with some communications council, um, or if you don't, you can, you can find someone um, just to, just to sort of start thinking through this stuff. But again, I think it re it's really important to have the, the background information already well established about what policies are and, and really start pushing that out into the marketplace through various channels. And then ultimately having the, um, you know, having that back, that backstop statement ready to go where you can recapitulate some of the things that you that you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's probably the best course of action based on what we know right now. Okay. Would you, would you, I mean, in normal time, we might invite the media out, you know, to see our, you know, opening weekend and invite them to play and be a part of it. Is that, would that be weird to invite them to see how well you're managing the health and safety of your customers, invite them to experience it firsthand? Is that approach you would take? 
I think that's a really cool idea, quite frankly. Now, I, I think I'd want to have a pretty significant dr dress rehearsal with my staff before doing so and make sure that you indeed do have your ducks in a row, that you do indeed maintain the recommended distance guidelines, that your staff is wearing appropriate PPE given what you're operating with. I think the idea of of having press come out and 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 seeing this is is potentially very valuable. I think another thing that you'd want to express to them is um, what types of things you are not doing right now as a result of the current situation. I mean, for example, a lot of organizations, um, in addition to running high ropes activities, also run low ropes activities. The low ropes activities often involve pretty close personal contact. And so making sure that you're communicating, these are the things we're not doing right now, and, and this is why. And also showing people how you, can, how you are doing the, um, the good stuff is fine. And oh, by the way, if you can't get your local media outlets to do it, why not shoot it yourself? You know, I mean, you could, you could have your own, uh, your own staff, or if you want to hire a videographer, to really show this for you, and then you can get that out on a social. You can you can push it out to people using email or whatever chain you want to use. It's all there for you. I think the idea of showing people what you're doing though is a strong one. That'd be interesting, and I certainly know you know in we've heard that community is your go-to um, in helping you know the community. You know even the community I'm in. Everybody rallies around the restaurants. We all send out notes. Tonight is our night to do takeout note. I think the community wants these businesses to survive. So I think you could probably rely a little bit on leaning on the community to come out with a community day or something, a free day, and try and engage them into helping their local businesses um, for sure. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our special Adventure Park Insider Huddle. The presentation shared by Brian and Nathan of Blend is available for download at www.adventureparkinsider.com huddle. We will be doing these weekly calls for as long as they make sense. Each call is open to the industry, so if you would like to participate or if you have a question or topic you think we should cover, email huddle at adventureparkinsider.com. In the meantime, check out the Coronavirus Impact page on both the API and SAM websites with content to help you navigate this crisis. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSAM advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintry Mix podcast guy. I am Sarah Bordeev, and thank you for listening to PodSAM. <laughs>